Thank you, folks, for having me here tonight. That is such a blessing. You guys, I haven't even been here for 24 hours yet, and you guys have already blessed my heart more than what I can ever describe. That it's just tremendous to see a church that cares this much about missions. And folks will tell you, the news will tell you that uh, church is dead, that God is dead, and that uh, there's no point in going to church, and uh, uh, there's no hope. Uh, folks, church ain't dead. This church is proof of it. And it, going across the country, one of the blessings of being a missionary is going through the country, seeing all these churches that are still alive. Seeing the 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. And I love it and fills my heart with joy and honestly makes me want to keep on going, makes me want to keep on fighting. And it's just amazing. Uh, real quick, I wanted to thank you guys and Pastor Bingham for allowing me to be here, giving me the privilege to be here. It's been fantastic. Uh, thank you for setting me up in such a nice hotel. He also did the one thing that I've been wanting to do for a while and cross off my bucket list was uh, I always wanted to try Missouri barbecue, and I got to try some tonight. I'm from North Carolina originally, so I know a little bit about barbecue, mostly pulled pork, but uh, tonight I got to try some Missouri barbecue, and I enjoyed it. It was really good. So, uh, that's at least the top, uh, in the top two right there. North Carolina is still number one, in my opinion. I, I can't say anything. Otherwise, other people will try and beat me for that. Um, like Preacher said, my wife could not be here tonight. She does send her regards. I uh, just got off the phone with her for a little bit ago, and she's doing well. Still recovering from having our baby boy, Luke Justice. He, uh, he was a big one to bring into the world. Nine pounds, four ounces with a full head of hair. You'll see a couple of photos here soon on the video. And if you'd like to see any more photos, I'm, uh, you can come to the missions table afterwards. I have them on my phone. For $5 each, you'll get to see a photo, okay? Just one. That's $5 per photo. So uh, if you want to see more, come see me afterwards, and uh, we'll, we'll make sure to put that money away. Uh, if, uh, also, if you'd want to get a prayer card from us, I've got plenty of those. We also send out bi-monthly prayer letters if you want to sign up for that, you can sign up on our email list. The same prayer letter that you'll be getting is the same prayer letter that we send out to every single church. So no, no alterations, same photos, same everything, same information. So uh, without further ado, we'll go ahead and have you watch the video and get right into the preaching tonight. Amen. Tell them. 
crimson flow Is it too late for caring? Does Jesus really say? Are we truly praying for the blind to find their way? Little children are falling into a burning That's your two free photos, by the way. <laughs> Real quick, if you all wouldn't mind turning your Bibles to Acts chapter 16, before we get into the sermon tonight, I want to go ahead and uh, share a bit of my testimony, my wife's testimony. Uh, I was born and raised in the military family. My dad was in the Navy for 26 years, reserved proudly. That's where I uh, learned my respect for the military and that's where, growing up, I wanted to be in the military. By the way, if I don't get a chance to, if you're here tonight and I haven't spoken to you already and you've served in the military, thank you. Thank you. On behalf of my wife and I, thank you. It's because of your sacrifice, we're able to be here tonight and actually preach and actually congregate and do what we're doing. But I was raised in the military, and uh, at the age of seven years old, God saved my life my soul. My dad had, since the age of two, my dad every night read a chapter of the Bible, read a chapter of the Bible to both my, me and my sister. And every night he would always explain the Romans road, explain salvation, and explain what Jesus Christ did and why he died on the cross. He did this for five years for me. And finally one night, it finally clicked. And I decided, I went up to my dad and was like, dad, you know, uh, what you're always talking about, that whole Jesus dying on the cross thing, I want to get saved. I want to do that. Not in those exact words. I think it was a little wordier than that, but that's long story short. And uh, that night I got saved. I got reassurance of my salvation when I was nine. But about a year afterwards, when I turned eight, we got deployed to the U.S. territory of Guam. Dad served there for two years. And uh, we got to working with a local New Testament Bible-believing church while we were there, and that's where I got introduced to soul winning. That's where I got introduced to actually being in the ministry, and that's where my training started as a little boy, and um, we fell in love with the people, and we left never thinking that we would ever go back. We thought that that chapter was behind us, that, you know, we're never going to see that place again. Well, we went to Lexington, Kentucky. Dad retired from the Navy, got out, and landed in Lexington, Kentucky, and we stayed there for 15 years, but we started going to a local church, just like the one we went to on Guam, um, Clay's Mill Baptist Church, Pastor Jeff Ugin, and uh, guess what? They did the same stuff that we did on Guam. They went soul winning, too. They ran buses. They went door-to-door -door soul winning, prison ministry, uh, citizen ministry, senior homes uh, ministry. They did it, too, and we got involved, and we just started going, and I that's how I was raised. That's how God finished teaching me. And I say finished, he still teaches me quite a bit as far as ministry goes, but that's how, uh, that was my primer into ministry. And finally, when I was about 15, I went to Circle C Baptist Ranch in Lancaster, Kentucky, Dr. Dave Smith. And that night they had a, they do a skit before the sermon and the skit was of an auction. And in the auction, 
It was people's souls being bartered off from different countries all across the world. And no one was standing up. They had a couple of people sit off to the side uh, to uh, be uh, missionaries and whatnot, and none of them were standing up. But the fellow playing the devil kept standing up and bidding on these lost souls and kept winning. And no one would stand up. And that was the whole skit. There was no positive to it. There was no good ending to it. It was just there was no one willing to fill in the gap to save these people that would be willing to put their lives on the line to go witness to these people. Then after that, Brother Dwayne Walker, who is a pastor in Lexington, he preached that night, and his message just went hand in hand with that skit, and my heart just broke. And I don't, I don't even remember getting up from the seat. Uh, it's almost like it was instantaneous. I went from the seat and went straight to the altar at the altar call, and I begged God, God, whatever you can do, whatever you can use me to do in my life, I'll do it. And right then and there, I can still remember that small voice telling me, okay, I want you in missions. Well, no, Lord, I don't want to be in missions. My whole life at that point was, I wanted to be like my dad. I was going to be a third-generation sailor. I was going to go into the Navy. That's all I ever wanted since I was a little boy. But God smote my heart and told me, no, I want you in missions. I want you in my Navy. I want you in my military. So that night, I broke myself under God and surrendered myself to His will and surrendered myself to missions. And I haven't regretted a day of it since. I, my heart's desire up until that point was to join the Navy, and I thought that if I never got to do that, I'd never be satisfied. I'd never find true joy in this life. <laughs> I was wrong. I've had more enjoyment in, life, in my life serving the Lord than I, I could ever possibly dream of doing anything else. And uh, not long after that, two years after I got called into missions, God hadn't told me where to go first, but I went to Commonwealth Baptist College, started going there in 2012. And there I met my wife in my sophomore year. And also in my sophomore year, God finally told me, okay, you remember that little island out in the middle of nowhere where you thought you would never go back to? Yeah, you remember how those people acted and the... A very big missions need on that island? Yes, Lord. Yeah, I want you to go back there. So I yielded to God. By the way, while I was doing that, I wasn't just sitting on my hands waiting for God to tell me what to do. I was still working in the ministry. God's not going to tell you what to do if you're just being lazy. But I was still doing, I, I mean, what else was I going to do? I was just going to keep doing what God told me to do and just keep being, keep seeing people saved. You know, one of these days I'll learn to speak. <laughs> but ever since then, my wife and I got married in 2018, and now we're on the deputation road. Please be praying for us. Uh, we just ended our first year on deputation. God has been blessing, even during COVID, even during a time when you would think that the blessings of God would be scarce. That's when the blessings of God are the most and it's been fantastic just to see. Now, my wife, she, uh, she grew up in a Christian home up in Michigan, up in Howard City, Michigan, about 45 minutes north of Grand Rapids. Please be praying for me. That's a, a high northerner right there hanging out with a southerner. And it, it makes for a time of very intense fellowship. 
So let's put, put it that way. I'm, I'm teasing her. And she's actually watching tonight, or, or if so. So if I go missing in about a week or so and you all never hear from me again, you know who to blame, by the way. Hi, honey. Hi, Luke. I love you. <laughs> We're trying to butter up, her up right now. Um, but no, she, uh, she can't... Uh, she, God was working on her, on her heart, and she knew it. And she, she's like me. Uh, one of the reasons that drew, drew me to her was she's a very stubborn person. And stubbornness just cracks me up. And she, uh, God kept telling her, I want you to go to Commonwealth Baptist College in Lexington, Kentucky. She kept telling him no. She kept telling God, no, family's more important. i got to stay here and help provide for my family. Finally, her grandmother... Which, by the way, she, her grandmother is amazing. I mean, you talk about somebody who should be a southern woman. Oh, my word, that woman can cook. She's like that southern grandma that you hear about. But she's all the way up north. I have no clue what she's doing up there. She can't even tell me. But um, she's a fantastic woman. She finally sat my wife down and told her, Honey, you're running from the will of God. Stop it. If you're worried about your family, God's going to protect your family. God's going to see that through. But if God's telling you where to go, you need to go. So that night, with tears in her eyes, my wife submitted to the will of God. And she went to um, Commonwealth Baptist College. We met in my sophomore year, and we fell in love, and we've been together ever since. And now we have our first baby boy, Luke, Luke Justice. And I just found out today that he is now 10 pounds. This kid's getting big. He's a chunky monkey. All that hair. By the way, all that hair you saw in those photos, that did not grow in since, since he was born. He was born with that. I'm not kidding. I am not kidding. But uh, God's blessed our lives, and God's blessed us with a beautiful baby boy. I never thought that I would be uh, so excited to be a dad, but I'm loving it. I'm loving every minute of it. And uh, just having a son and being with my wife and serving the Lord in the ministry that he's called us to, it's the most exciting thing in the world, I'll tell you what. Go ahead and open your Bibles to Acts 16. We'll start in verse 9. Acts 16, verse 9. I'm going to swig of water here real quick before going through. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. If you wouldn't mind bowing your heads for prayer to ask God to bless the service tonight. Dear Heavenly Father, please bless this service tonight. Please bless this time of fellowship that we have together. Thank you for blessing our hearts so far. Thank you for blessing my hearts with the people of this church and their pastor. Lord Jesus, we pray that you'll please bless this service. Please fill me with your power and with your spirit. Please let every word that comes out of my mouth be from you and nothing from me. Lord Jesus, I pray that you'll please use me as a conduit of blessing. Use me as an instrument to help somebody here tonight. Lord Jesus, we pray that if there's someone here tonight that isn't saved, we pray that you'll please get them saved. If there's someone here tonight that isn't right with you, please get them right with you, Lord. In your blessed name, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Here in this passage of Scripture, Paul stopped by in the town of Troas while he's been preaching the gospel and seeing people saved. 
It's here that the Lord sends a Paul a vision of the man of Macedonia, praying that he would come and help them, help him and help the people of Macedonia. Paul wastes no time, and the very next day sets sail for Philippi, ready to preach to the people of his vision. You see, Paul had been guided by the Lord for years now on where to go, but this time the Lord sent him an actual vision of who to go to and where he was needed. It's very amazing how God worked in that way. Peter never went anywhere without a purpose. To every city that he went to preach, he had a personal and spiritual vision for that city, a vision of what he wanted to see done, a vision of what he wanted to see the work of God do. He had a vision of, that he wanted to see made a reality. Paul was used of God in a great and mighty way because he was willing to follow God's will and because he had a vision for the things of God and for the lost. So I ask us here tonight, what's our vision like? That's what I'm preaching tonight is on our vision. See, Webster's 1828 dictionary describes vision as something imagined to be seen. For anything to happen in life, for us to have success in our Christian life, for us to do anything for God, we have to have a vision to do something for God. Uh, a preacher was telling me about Pastor Tolbert and him starting this church and setting up this church building. And I am I, amazed by this church building. You guys have a wonderful property and wonderful facility. You mind if I take it to Guam with me? Uh, it'd be a little hard to get over there. I wonder if it'll transport well. But I can just see him when he was first starting this church having a vision of what this church was going to do. Of having a vision of seeing people saved for Christ. Of having a vision of seeing people not just saved but baptized and serving the Lord just like what the Bible says Christians ought to do. See, we need to have a vision for the world. Paul had a vision to plant churches across the known world, even in Jerusalem where the Holy Spirit didn't even want him to go. He had a vision to win the lost for Christ and preach his name to whoever he could. So I ask again, what's our vision? Paul is a clear example of what a vision for the Lord could do. I'm afraid today that too many Christians don't even have a vision, that we go about our lives not even wondering what God could do through our lives, not even just a hint of curiosity of what God could do through us. We have so many Christians today that don't even have a vision for God or the things of God, or worse yet, never even had a vision to begin with. We got saved and never thought of what we could do. That's just pitiful, folks. We act like the world and have a, uh, a vision for a material item, a car, land, money, things that we want, but nothing of the will of God, nothing of the things of God. We refuse to have a vision for what God could do in our lives. We refuse to have a vision for lost souls. Folks, what's your vision for? Do you have a dream for God? I just want to ask everyone here three things concerning our vision. Look first in Acts 16, 9. You're already there. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man, a Macedonian. Number one, I want to ask, who do you have a vision for? We see here Paul's vision was clearly to the people of Macedonia, but notice that the man of Macedonia never gets a name. Paul doesn't know anything about this man other than the fact that he's begging for Paul to get over there and help him and his people. God uses a complete random stranger, possibly even somebody that God just made up. He may not have been real. God could have just made a vision for Paul. This man could never have even existed. But guess what? That didn't, that didn't change anything. 
Paul's vision was not just for the people at Troas where he was currently. Paul's vision was not just for those people. Paul's vision was to see anybody who was lost saved for Christ. Paul had a vision to see the work of God done. God, uh, Paul had a vision to see what God could do. And that didn't it wasn't just in one place, it was all across the world. Paul had a vision to plant churches wherever he could go, and he did it. Ten, church, uh, ten years, he planted ten churches, folks. That's amazing. You want to tell me that uh, that doesn't take a vision? You need a vision to pull that off. That's amazing. Folks, God used a complete random stranger for this vision. It tells us that Paul had a heart for everybody. It didn't matter where they were. Paul had a vision and heart to see them saved. Christian, let me ask you something. Who do you have a heart for? Do you have a heart, for, uh, do you have a heart and vision for a lost family member? Do you have heart and vision for somebody you know, a coworker? Do you have, heart, do you have a heart and a vision for this town? Do you have a vision to see what God could do? Do you have a vision to see a national revival? Churches being planted, peoples being saved, the gospel preached, God magnified and glorified. Do you have a vision for that? Amen. Folks, we need to have a vision in our lives. Every work that man has ever done for the Lord required a vision to see the necessity of the work and a vision to see it filled. For a bus route to grow, the captain of that bus must have a vision of that grown bus route, a vision of kids getting saved on the bus and every seat filled. For a pastor to grow a church, and we've got two pastors here tonight, they know exactly what I'm talking about, but they have to have a vision of people being saved, baptized, and trained to serve the Lord and become soul winners. I'm a missionary to the U.S. territory of Guam. I've got a vision of what I could see God do. I see a little storefront church. By the way, I don't just have a one-year plan. I have a five-year plan. I've got this whole thing planned out. It may not work that way, but I've got a plan for it. I've got a vision of what I could see happen. A little storefront church, people coming in, getting saved, and getting baptized. Because that's the whole point of it. That's the whole point of church is to see, is see people saved and rescue them from a burning hell. Folks, we need to have a vision for the things of God. Uh, for us Christians to do anything for God, we have to vi have a vision of what God could do, a vision as simple as us handing a gospel tract to someone, a vision of us winning people to Christ, a vision of us walking with God, and not just in the morning, but all day long. Folks, we have to have a vision for Jesus. We have to have a vision to see what He can do through us. Who do you have a vision for? Do you have a vision for others? Do you have a vision for the lost? Somewhere out there right now, out those doors, is a fella, man, woman, mom, dad, son, daughter, who is on the bullet train straight to the pits of hell. And their only hope, their only hope is for someone in here tonight have a vision for that person. You may not know them. You may not know what they look like. You may not know anything about them. But their only hope is for somebody here tonight to have a vision for that person, a vision of them getting saved, baptized, and in church. Amen. Their only hope is for one of us to realize that tonight. Do we have a vision for others? Do we have a vision for the people we work with on a daily basis? I know it's hard to deal with some of the people we work with. I've uh, when I worked secular jobs, it was very interesting with some of the people I worked with. Most of them could
couldn't tie their shoes straight. Oh man, I wanted to throw so many things at people. I, I lost my temper a few times. I'll admit that. But those people, if they need Christ just like everybody else. And if you've worked at a job for 20 years and haven't witnessed to one person, something's wrong. Your vision is gone. Either that or you never had one. We need to have a vision to reach others, to see people saved. A vision of seeing people saved, baptized, of, seeing, of repeating that cycle and having that person see someone saved. Isn't that exciting to think about? Training up a newborn Christian and seeing the process repeated? That gets me excited. I want to run and shout. I want to do one of those glory laps. I won't because I'm going to trip and kill myself on something. Paul had never met the Macedonian man before, but that didn't change anything. Paul's vision was not just to the, uh, for the people of Macedonia, but for that one man as well. He didn't even know if that one man was real, but that vision was for him too. For that one man's soul. Folks, our homes, our towns, and our country are burning down right around us because we Christians will not have a vision for the lost in our country. This world is going to hell. It's going to hell. It's, it's on the bullet train to hell. Because we have Christians who won't have a vision. I wonder how many people have been called to missions. How many people have been called to start a church and they refused it because they didn't want to have that vision. I wonder how many people God's called and refused the call. That scares me to death, folks. Make, uh, makes me want to cry. That's pitiful. Our country could be changed if we just had one Christian step up and have a vision for the lost. Sometimes we Christians can be some of the most selfish people in the world. It's true. We care only about ourselves. We care only about what God can do through us. Most of the times, people, when they ask for a prayer request, it's something about their need. What about praying for somebody else? What about praying for somebody else's need? Let's have a vision for other people, folks. And I understand that we all have our own needs. We really do. But let's start praying for other people. Amen. Let's start being worthy of having our needs filled by helping somebody else get their needs filled. Amen. You know how you do that? You do that by intercessory prayer. Jesus wasn't... The reason why Jesus died on the cross was not because he wanted to. The reason Jesus Christ died on the cross was to save us. It wasn't just something he wanted to do. He started sweating blood, folks. He was very nervous about it. He didn't want to do it, but he understood the need, and he had a vision of what could be done if he did. It was the only way to save us. Dads, do you have a vision for your home tonight? Do you have a vision of you and your family walking with God, serving God, seeing people saved? Moms, do you have a vision for your kids and your husbands? Do you have a vision of your husbands leading your family on a godly path? I'm convinced that one of the biggest reasons why we see such a destruction in this country today is because we have completely lost a vision. To build anything, you need a vision. Go look at the Empire State Building. Just for example, go look at that. Do you think the architect just slapped a couple of doodles together and said, hey, build that? No. The architects behind that building had to spend hours on a vision that they had in their minds to see how it would work. 
And you know what happened when they actually enacted their vision? They built one of the tallest buildings in the world. Go look at the Burj Khalifa in uh, Saudi Arabia, which stands as the, uh, I believe it's the current tallest building in the world, skyscraper. It shouldn't be physically possible that that building is standing, and yet it is because people had a vision and they saw it built. For us to build anything, we have to have a vision. Dads have handed over the vision of their families to the government, to news, or some other outside force. And as a result, the biblical family unit that God gives us in the, in the book of Genesis is about to go extinct. It's true. Folks, who is your vision to? We Christians, like I said, can sometimes be some of the most selfish people in the world. We only ever pray about our needs and our wants. How about we start praying for someone else for a change? How about we start praying for someone else's needs and wants? What do you have a vision for? Who do you have a vision to? Do you have a vision for someone other than yourself? Folks, we need to have people who will come to this altar and dedicate their lives to Christ and have a vision to see what God can do through them. Folks, who do you have a vision for? Number two, Acts 16.9, come over into Macedonia and help us. Number two, where do you have a vision to? We see here that Paul's vision was to the people of Macedonia. That's pretty clear. Paul had a vision not just for the Macedonian man, but for all the people of Macedonia. Macedonia was not a small country. It was a major country. Thousands and thousands of people. But yet, Paul still had a vision to see what God could do in seeing those people saved. Amazing. Where do you have a vision to? Do you have a vision to the kids in your bus route or Sunday school? Do you have a vision to the people of this town? Do you have a vision to the people at your workplace? Folks, where do you have a vision to? We need to have a vision for people anywhere they are, whoever they are. The people that people can hear about the loving Father and be warned about a burning hell. Folks, one, person, one Christian's vision for, uh, for somebody could change the entire world. Satan knows that. Why do you think he fights you on it? Why do you think he fights the church constantly? Satan doesn't want the church to see people saved like, the, like God tells us to, like God commissioned us to do. Because when Jesus Christ gave that commission, he had a vision. He already knew what was going to happen, but he had a vision of what could happen. He died on the cross so that we all could be saved. Let's, let's have a vision for somebody else here tonight. It breaks my heart to see this around the country where people, even Christians I've known for years, won't have a vision for other people. They've, uh, they've either won't have it or they've lost it. And you know what happens? They don't do anything for God. They don't do a thing for God. And people die and go to hell, and guess what? The blood of the person who dies and goes to hell, that's on their hands. That, uh, their blood is on the hands of the Christian who refused to have a vision. Folks, God didn't just call me to have a vision for the Chamorros and military of Guam. Though I really, uh, my heart breaks for them. The Chamorros have been under the influence. 94% of the island confesses Catholicism. 94%. That island has been occupied by Catholicism for 500 years. A little over 500, actually. 
How many countless generations of people, how many countless people have died and gone to hell because of that cult that told them that you can go to heaven through works? How many people of those could have been saved had somebody had a vision for them and somebody gone to witness to them? The military. Heaven, I love the military. I love them to death. There's no reason why anyone in our armed forces, why any man or woman in our armed forces should go anywhere and not know about the gospel. There's no reason. There's no excuse for it. There's so much access through the internet, through preaching, that everyone should know. Everyone should have at least heard the word. And yet we have men and women giving their lives on the front lines every day to give us the freedom to sit here and talk about seeing people saved. We have that going on every single day, and yet very few people will have a vision to see and see them saved and to give them the gospel. Folks, my heart breaks for them. Do you know that there's currently over 7,000 U.S. military personnel on the island right now? There's about to be even more than that. There's about to be double. A new Marine base just opened about two weeks ago, Camp Blas. They're going to transfer the troops from Okinawa and take them to Guam and send them there. The Marines from Okinawa and put them on the island. Do you know how much of a ministry opportunity that is? Do you know how many people you could, get sa- you could see saved? Do you know how much of a difference you can make for Christ? That's 6,000 extra people. And that island ain't that big. If they keep pe- uh, putting people over it, they're going to tip the island in the ocean. <laughs> it ain't that big, folks. 200 miles square around. I mean, it, it ain't big at all. But folks, I'm not just called to these people. As much as I do have a burden for the people of Guam, as much as I do have a burden for the military of Guam, I'm not just to have a vision for them. I'm to have a vision for the fellow pumping his gas at the gas station when I pull up. I'm to have a vision for the homeless man on the side of the road begging for money or food. I'm to have a vision for the drug addict who can't even remember their own name. I'm to have a vision not just to where I'm going, but to where I'm at right now. A while back, my wife and I ran into a bit of a problem. We kept having tracts from different churches, but from where we run around it a lot, we kept passing out churches in Mississippi. Uh, we kept passing out tracts in Mississippi for churches in Virginia. We ran into that problem, and so I contacted Sword of the Lord, and I asked him, what do you got? What kind of tracts you got? So we got these. How to Know You're Going to Heaven by Curtis Hudson. I love these tracts. These are great tracts, by the way. We pass these out everywhere we go now. Because I learned that while you're on the road, you should have a vision for everybody you might run into. The gas station clerk, great opportunity to witness to somebody, by the way, because they have to stay behind that desk no matter what. They have to listen to you. Great opportunity. Also, good opportunity, the, uh, the fellows that sell the Spectrum uh, TV stuff, Spectrum cable at Walmart, those kiosk fellows, great opportunity too, because same thing, they have to listen to you. They're not going anywhere. Great opportunities. But God showed me in my life, and God taught me that I'm not just to have a, a vision for the people of Guam, a vision for the ministry that can be done over there, but a vision for the ministry that can be done here, wherever I'm at, wherever I go. 
I can try and reach somebody for Christ. I can try and give out a gospel track and try and get these people saved. I can at least do whatever I can. So folks, who's our, where is our vision to? Every day, God calls us to the mission field that is everyday life. Every day, we get new chances to tell new people about God, but we're never going to tell anyone about God until we can have a vision for that person. That sinner is going to die and go to hell, and their blood is going to be on the hands of the Christian that didn't have a vision. Folks, we need to have a vision not just to where we are going or where we are, but everywhere we ever go. Very confusing statement, I know. But everywhere we go, we need to have a vision for anyone who might get saved. We need to have a vision for what God can do, a vision of people being saved, a vision of surrender to His will. Number three, Acts 16.10. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia. Number three, I want to ask, when will you act on your vision? Here we see the speed in which Paul acted on this vision. He didn't wait on it. He didn't think about it for a day or two before doing something. The very next day, the very next day, he immediately got on a ship and got to Macedonia as quickly as he could. He acted on it at the earliest time, as soon as he could. He understood the severity and need of the vision being brought to reality. The souls that were dying and going to hell every second that he wasn't there. He knew the need and the severity. Christian, when are we going to act on the vision that God's already given us? The vision for the Sunday school kid that you have. A vision for your coworker, your neighbor, your friend or family. When are you going to act on it? Friend, the world's quickly fading. We don't have much time. Jesus is coming back at any moment. I, I, heard it, I heard it best, and I've adopted it myself. I heard a preacher once say, I'm no longer looking for the signs of the times. I'm no longer looking for the return of Christ. I'm waiting for the trumpet to sound. We're already here, folks. Christ is coming back. That should put a sense of urgency in us like we would never believe. Before Christ comes back, I'm, I want to take as many people with me as I possibly can. I don't, want, I don't want there to be one person that I ran across that is stuck here and during the tribulation and I'm going to die and go to hell because I didn't witness to him, because I didn't have a vision for him. You may think that, ah... There's somebody else that will witness to them. It'll, uh, somebody else will come. It'll be fine. Folks, what does Proverbs 27.1 say? Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. You don't know what's going to happen. That fellow out there who is not saved, who is dying and on their way to, way to hell, tomorrow they could end up opening their eyes and be in the pits of hell. They can end up dying tonight and go there. Folks, that petrifies me. That puts a fear in me like, I, like you wouldn't believe. When I was a teenager, before I got called to the ministry, before I got called into missions, I got very involved in soul winning. Like I told you earlier, I got very involved in ministry. And God laid a burden on my heart to see my extended family saved. By the way, if you have extended family members, it's your duty to witness to them. It's your duty to make sure that they're saved. And God spoke to my heart and said, you need, to, you need to witness to these folks. 
And he laid two people on my heart specifically, my uncle and my cousin. They, were both, they both weren't saved and they both knew it. We didn't see each other often. I never really saw them a whole lot, maybe once a year. And every time that I would see them, I'd have that gospel track out. I'd look at it. I'd think about it. I'd rehearse what I was going to say. But when the time finally came, I didn't do anything. My first thought was, oh, well, next time. Next time I'll give them one of these. Next time I'll witness. Over the course of a few more years, I kept up soul winning. Kept up ministries, but never witnessed to my uncle or his family. Just kept repeating that process over and over again. Till finally one night, my mom got a phone call from my grandmother. You couldn't make out barely two words that my grandmother was saying over the weeping and the crying over the phone. But she had told us that my cousin had killed himself. He'd taken his own life. The first thought that popped in my head, I'll never forget it. The first thing I thought was, it's your fault. You could have stopped that. You could have changed it. That boy's now in a burning hell because of you. That was my first thought. I immediately went to God, begging for repentance, praying to God, please forgive me. Whatever happens, I won't let this ever happen again. I'm so sorry. But the deed was already done. That boy was possibly burning in hell, and it was all my fault. Because I refuse to have a vision for it, for him. I refuse to act on my vision for him. The vision that God gave me, I refuse to act on it. I didn't find out until a few years later, but he had gotten saved the day before he died. But it wasn't from me witnessing to him. I had had several chances to get down and actually witness to him and actually give him the gospel. And you know what I did? I played the coward. And I backed out of it every single chance God gave me. Thinking, oh, well, there's going to be next time. I see him once a year. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. I'll witness to him next time. Folks, you don't know if that next time is ever going to come. You don't know if you're going to have a second chance. You don't know if there's ever going to be a second chance. We don't even know if there's going to be a tomorrow. The Lord could come back tonight. And that blood will be on our hands. I should have witnessed to the boy. It's one of my life's greatest regrets. I'm glad he's in heaven. But that boy could have potentially died and gone to hell, and that would have been all my fault. His blood would have been on my hands. Folks, we can't wait to go to the people in our vision. There isn't any time to waste. We have to reach people for Christ. The Holy Spirit may convict you while you're out somewhere and tell you to give a stranger a gospel track. You might think of saying, no, someone else will come along. Well, guess what, folks? Someone has come along. That person is dying and on their way to hell, and, it, and we are needed to at least give out a gospel track, to have a vision for that, pe for that person, to have a vision of them being saved and on their way to heaven. They're not, they're not going to have a vision for themselves because they don't know Christ. We need to have a vision for these people. We have di different flags all up uh, hung around here, and I love it. I love seeing all the different countries. 
And I love going to missions conferences. You know why I love going to missions conferences? It's not just because I get to get up and preach, not just because I get to get blessed by the church by taking me out to barbecue and eating, and oh man, that was good. Preacher, I need to go back there before I leave. That was a good place. Uh, but the reason why I love missions conferences the most, the reason why I love them, because God opens up my eyes and allows me to have a vision for each and every one of these countries. I'm not even called to all these countries. But Israel? I've got a vision of what God could do in Israel. I have no idea how it would work out. But I've got a vision of what God could do. Brazil? See what God could do there. New Zealand? Heaven help us, they, they need somebody to have a vision for them too. Every one of these countries, New Zealand is on its way to being one of the most communist countries in the world. They just haven't come out and admitted it yet. Over here we have a flag for China, which is flat out communist. Recently, they, a couple of months ago, in the name of health and protection, the Chinese legislature told everybody, okay, we're going to pass a law where we're going to shut down every single church. Every single church, every single religion, we're shutting down every single organization, every single facility. Because there are some state-run churches there. They're about as useless as the tail on a pig. But that very same day, they passed it, which was amazing. It was spectacular to see that they passed legislation in one day. It was weird to see that happen. Even in Chinese legislation, that never happens. One day they passed it, and that very same day they had a secret police force tasked to go throughout the entire city of Beijing and shut down every single church and arrest anybody who didn't comply. The police started, and before they got to their first building, I kid you not, this happened. You can look it up online. It did happen. The whole city of Beijing went dark at about 2 in the afternoon. It looked like it was 10 at night. The whole city just went black. Scientists said that it was a freak fog that came out of the north and just went over. I don't think that's what happened, folks. That's something straight out of the Old Testament right there. That's called God is lining up the paddle to deliver a serious whooping. God's, uh, God's judgment is coming on that country if somebody doesn't have a vision to go and see those people saved. God's judgment is coming on every one of these countries unless we have somebody who will have a vision to go see them saved. That's why I love missions conferences, because I get to, have, I get to see a vision for each one of these countries. I get to have a burden for each one of these countries and the lost souls in them. Folks, America's lost its way because us Christians refuse to have a vision and to do something with it. Let's change that tonight. It's not too late to change it. Just ask God. Hey, if you don't have a vision, just ask God. Hey, can I have a vision? Give me a vision for somebody. When you go to Walmart, ask God in the car. Hey, if there's anybody I can give a gospel tract to, if you would set up a divine appointment for me to witness to somebody, I'll do it. Let's have a vision of seeing somebody saved. Let's have a vision of seeing things changed in this world. It's not too late. It might be tomorrow. 
but it's not too late right now. Folks, let's make a difference for Christ. Let's have a vision for ourselves tonight. Let's get a vision back and have a vision for our lost and dying world.